Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into Scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. There is an endless variety of options. There are countless brands, cultural cuisines, modes of transportation, and even religious denominations to sample, taste, and repeat. When it comes to the platter of religious groups, let's just say the nuance is certainly an improvement of the intolerant past, when you had to identify as either Christian, Muslim, or Jewish and oppose the others. But what will the future hold if truth becomes a totally subjective preference? Is personal taste the way toward true reconciliation? And is the power for unity within diversity? As believers in Yeshua, we definitely take advantage of the freedom of choices that we have. But we also must protect the unchangeable truths that endure throughout every generation, such as the Jewish roots of the Bible. These truths have real power to transform, empower, unite, renew, and reconcile. Today, we want to talk to you about the Messianic community, and specifically, we would like to share how a Messianic worldview, a Messianic congregations, and even a Messianic education each serve as unique bridges toward reconciliation in our day, especially between the Jewish and Christian communities. We have with us on the show Dennis Karp, a Messianic Jewish congregational leader who also is the Mid-Atlantic Regional Director for Chosen People Ministries. And later, you will hear from some of the students from our Feinberg Center for Messianic Jewish Studies. Dennis, Shalom. Shalom, how are you today? Doing well. Thank you so much for joining us. Really excited to have you. It's my pleasure. So I know that you and your family lived for lived in Israel for a little bit. Is that correct? Yes, we lived there for four years in Jerusalem. That's amazing. So since you were in Israel, and I always have to ask this question, what was your favorite Israeli dish? And maybe still is. Well, um, not just my favorite Israeli dish, but the favorite place to get it. Um, and my favorite Israeli dish is falafel. Oh, um, yeah. You, it, <laughs> falafel is is just amazing. And in Jerusalem, on a street that's called Rehov Nevi'im, or Prophet Street, there is a little falafel stand that's about as big as my living room 
and people would line up to get their falafel and the people waiting in line, they would actually hand out falafel balls to them while they were standing in line. Oh, that's so, not uh, nice. as, <laughs> even as I'm talking about it, it brings back good memories and my mouth's watering. Yeah. <laughs> so they keep people in line <laughs> with those samples. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Falafel is great. So, um, in this, in these turbulent times, how is life for you in quarantine or, you know, I, I know your state is probably opening up a little bit, but what, what is life like down where you live? Well, it's been a transition, obviously. Uh, the first three months of quarantine were not very friendly to me personally. Uh, I can't stand being cooped up. Uh, I don't like people telling me where I can go and where I can't go. And to do all my work sitting in front of a computer, while I know some people are good at that, uh, that's not me. Mm. Uh, so I ended up making uh, too many trips to the refrigerator and the pantry. <laughs> Uh, and in fact, in the first three months of quarantine, gained about 25 pounds. Wow. So that had to stop. And so um, <laughs> I'm on a better path right now. And quarantine has been a little easier to us, especially at the congregation that I lead, because we've been getting into the social media uh, understanding of how to express our faith and how to um, share our faith with people, not just congregational life in the building, but also congregational life uh, out of the building. So it's mm. been fun learning about social media and yeah. how to use it for the uh, furtherance of the kingdom. Yeah, it, it is fantastic. And uh, social media is really powerful way to communicate the gospel. Um, and, you know, but media has been used for, for years in different ways. It just happens that social media is the technology today. Um, and, and just speaking about coming to faith and, and sharing the gospel, can you tell us a little bit about your story? Um, how did you come to faith? Well, um, I'll try to make this a shortened version. Uh, I was raised in a Jewish home, Jewish traditions, Jewish food. Um, we celebrated the Sabbath, Friday night, Saturday night. We were in synagogue um, every week. Uh, I was raised and trained to be a cantor. Mm. Uh, and so when the uh, 60s and 70s came and I got as far away from my uh, Judaism and synagogue as I could, my parents weren't exactly excited. Um, but I, I searched for a meaning for life basically everywhere I could. I mean, I went from uh, beer bongs and blacklight to uh, transcendental meditation mm. to yoga to uh, studying philosophy um, and finally uh, came to the realization, I thought, that there really was no answer to life. You just had to have a pretty wife, lots of money, good job, and a secured retirement. <laughs> and uh, that's what I aimed for. And basically, uh, that's what I had at about the age of 40. I had gotten to the point where that was all part of my reality. Problem was, I'd become very depressed. Uh, and I would spend my days doing work. Uh, and then I would come home and spend all hours of the evening downstairs watching TV until 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, during that time, a business associate of mine invited me to come to his church. Uh, this was kind of what he said. Uh, he said, quote, Dennis, there's going to be this Jewish man at our church this coming Sunday. He's going to speak about Jesus and the Passover. And pastor told us to invite all our Jewish friends. You won't come. <laughs> Not exactly your seeker sensitive invitation to the gospel, <laughs> if you know what I mean. But for some reason, uh, I decided that, you know, that was something I should do. And so Tina and I, and at that time we had two children, uh, one was nine and one was four months. 
Uh, we went to hear the presentation, Messiah and the Passover, that incidentally was delivered by a representative of Chosen People Ministries. Um, and to say that my Jewish jaw hit my Jewish lap during that presentation um, is an understatement. Uh, I couldn't believe that this man was telling me things about my faith and Passover that I had never learned in my Jewish upbringing. And so uh, I went to him afterwards and said, we need to talk. He came over to uh, my house for about eight weeks, uh, one day a week, so I could ask him any question uh, that I wanted. And my goal was to prove him wrong. Uh, right. You must understand, I did not want to believe that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. Yeah. And so I would ask him a question, and he would say, well, let's see what the Hebrew Scriptures have to say. Mm. And he would answer the question from the Hebrew Scriptures. And then the next week, I would ask him another question. Well, let's see what the Hebrew Scriptures have to say. This went on for three, four, five weeks. Um, I would call it not fair. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, I was expecting to debate him, and instead he had me debating Moses and the prophets. Wow. We finally came to the last week where I had no more objections. And I said, well, there's one thing you can't tell me. He said, what's that? I said, if the Messiah has been here, how come the world is so? And then I used all those words that I used to use and don't use anymore. And you know what he said to me? He said, let's see what the Hebrew scriptures have to say. <laughs> <laughs> and we did a study in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, which was a prophetic timetable of events uh, from the issuing of the order to rebuild Jerusalem to the coming and the death of the Messiah, and the understanding that it happened before the destruction of the second temple. And so I had no more arguments. I still didn't believe, uh, but I had no more arguments. Uh, but I was going to the congregation that he led on Saturday mornings, all during the times of these studies. And th the following Shabbat was the Shabbat closest to uh, May 14th. Uh, I came to faith in 1992. And the congregation was celebrating Israel's Independence Day. And mm -hmm. as part of the celebration, they had the entire congregation stand up and sing Hatikva, which is the Israeli national anthem. And during the singing of Hatikva, I guess the only way you could describe it is the Holy Spirit uh, came over me uh, and showed me all of my beliefs in the past, showed me all of my sins, showed me the need for repentance. And in the middle of singing Hatikva with tears, rolling down my cheeks, uh, I gave my life to the Jewish Messiah, Yeshua. Um, so that's kind of like how it happened. Uh, I'm thinking about it right now. I'm smiling, even though you can't see me. <laughs> that is such a beautiful testimony. And and we know your uh, testimony is on ifoundshalom.com. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to play it on our Hope podcast as well. Um, so thank you for giving us that short version. So you, you came to faith and when you came to faith, you became, would, would you consider yourself a messianic believer? Yes, I would. Okay. So why messianic? What does messianic mean? Well, messianic believer to me simply means that I believe in the Messiah that was sent by God, but also that I believe he's been here already, mm. that um, he's the Jewish Messiah. His name in Hebrew is Yeshua, which means salvation. Uh, he came first to be the sacrifice for our sins. He'll come again uh, to redeem the world and lead us into the uh, the end days. And when you became a Messianic believer, did that cause you to lose your Jewish identity? Personally, no, but it caused me to lose a lot of Jewish friends and also Jewish mm. relatives. Wow. Wow. So becoming a Messianic believer, you 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 can't lose your Jewishness. 
No, I mean, you know, you're you're either born Jewish or you're born Gentile. Right. And what God what God created at birth, nobody can change. You know, it's interesting. People tell me, well, how do you call yourself? I say, well, I'm a Messianic Jew, but you have to understand Jew is the noun and Messianic is the adjective. Mm. So I'm Jewish. I always was Jewish. I always will be Jewish. Uh, my wife, Tina, uh, she's Gentile. People will ask her, well, are you Jewish now? And her answer is no. Why would I be Jewish? God birthed me Gentile. <laughs> so, you know, when you think about it, there's not just Messianic Jews. There's also Messianic Gentiles. Mm. Wow. So kind of shifting to the Messianic community in general, what do you know about the modern Messianic community and its main vision, especially in connection to the biblical Messianic age? Yeah. My understanding of the Messianic movement, the, the recent Messianic movement, is a little blurry in terms of its history because um, when it really had its heyday back in the late 60s uh, and early 70s, uh, to be honest, uh, I was too stoned to know what was going on. <laughs> and so uh, I was not one of the people who came to faith during the quote-unquote Jesus movement. I came to faith uh, much later. Mm -hmm. But I believe that an understanding of the modern messianic movement gives you a better understanding of how biblical prophecy, I'm talking about from the Tanakh, relates with the current situation in the world today, uh, and how we can see that we're coming closer and closer and closer to the return uh, of our Messiah, and in fact, the millennial age. Mm. Okay, so Dennis, what would fall under the umbrella of the Messianic community? We, we kind of defined it, but for well, our listeners, what is the Messianic community? I think the, the best way and probably the simplest way to describe the Messianic movement is a move of the Holy, Holy Spirit to, one, reveal the Messiahship of Yeshua Jesus to the Jewish people, of, two, to remind the church at large that the Jewish people are not a forgotten people, that they had been given promises by God, and those promises will be fulfilled. And three, for the Messianic movement itself, the congregations that call themselves Messianic congregations and Jewish believers, understand the importance of sharing their faith uh, with Jewish people as well as whoever else uh, they come in contact with. I, I think uh, most of your listeners will agree mm. that we're getting closer and closer uh, to the end of days, and yeah. the time is short, the message is important, and we cannot waste the time. What would you say is the most important quality that a Messianic congregation offers people, whether Jewish or Gentile? Well, for Jewish people, it offers the chance to worship God in a culturally familiar uh, surrounding. Mm -hmm. And um, for the Gentiles that attend our congregation, it gives them an understanding uh, of the Messianic Hebraic underpinnings uh, of our faith, which many of them tell us is not found in the church that they came from. Mm -hmm. and, and what makes a Messianic congregation different from a church? I would say there uh, are a few things. One is the uh, liturgy. Um, we'll have um, Hebrew liturgy with English translations. Uh, we'll have songs that uh, many of them will be in a minor key, if you know what I mean. But for example, in our congregation, we sing many worship songs that were written and introduced in Israel, uh, and we bring them back uh, and do that here. There's also an emphasis on understanding the Tanakh, the Hebrew scriptures, uh, as well as the uh, Brit Chadshah, the New Covenant Scriptures. 
Uh, and sometimes our worship looks a little different. Messianic praise dance uh, is part of our uh, celebration on Shabbat morning and holidays. And of course, you can't forget the fact that wherever there's a Messianic Jewish congregation, there's lots of food. So we always have a lovely fellowship meal uh, after the service, uh, which is where a lot of the personal ministry takes place. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord during this season and all year long by ordering your very own shofar. The shofar blast is heard throughout all the fall feasts of Israel, and it's mentioned many times throughout God's Word. Display it, gift it, and use the shofar in your worship as a way to connect with your Jewish roots. Go to ourhopepodcast.com forward slash messianic and get free shipping on your shofar until the end of August. Now back to Abe and Dennis. How do you see Messianic congregations serving the cause of reconciliation between the Jewish community and believers in Yeshua? You know, um, it's an interesting question. I'm not going to put you on the spot, but normally if someone would ask me that, I'd say, well, what is your definition of reconciliation? <laughs> um, so I won't do that. I'll answer my own question. <laughs> but as you ask that question, I immediately think of Romans uh, chapter 11, verses 11, uh, verses 11 to 15, there's a verse there that says this, if they're falling away, meaning the rejection of the Messiah on the part of the Jewish people when he first came, if they're falling away is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Mm -hmm. You see, the, the most important reconciliation that we can talk about is the reconciliation of anyone to God himself. And so the, the purpose of, of the Jewish rejection of Messiah long ago was so that the Messiah could now come to all the rest of the nations so that they could be reconciled to God. And now the purpose of the Gentile believers, according to Romans 11 through 15, is to provoke my people, the Jewish people, to jealousy so they could be reconciled to God. In other words, the promises of God were made to all people. That's the vision of the olive tree in the book of Romans. Right. And both Jew and Gentile can be grafted back in. Mm -hmm. Now, in, in terms of reconciliation of Jew and Gentile, in terms of reconciliation uh, of black and white, you know, we have all mm -hmm. kinds of reconciliation problems today yeah. uh, in the world that we're living in. Uh, and all I can say to that is if Messianic congregations can point everybody to God, that's the solution to all the reconciliation issues. Mm. That's awesome. How can the church and believers in general play a part in the Messianic community, even if they're not planning to attend a Messianic congregation? I guess the best thing to understand is, number one, um, the theology of replacement theology, or as the seminaries now call it, supersessionism, that the Jewish people had their chance and now they've been lost and will never again have the offer of being saved, that has to be rebuffed and rebuked mm. in the churches and among the Gentile community. And the understanding that God's promises to Jew and Gentile, again, as spoken in the book of Romans, is irrevocable. They yeah. can't be revoked. What God says cannot be taken back. And so if churches, if believers will understand the importance of Israel in biblical prophecy and the importance of sharing their faith with the Jewish people. I think that's the best way that they can play a part in the Messianic movement. 
And, and another thing that I want to point out um, is the role of education uh, in the Messianic movement. Uh, and, you know, there's all different levels of education. Uh, there's going to seminary, um, getting proper degrees, being able to study specific issues that you want to include either in your ministry uh, or your personal life. I think that's very important. Obviously, it's, it's not for everyone, just like going to graduate school is not for everyone. Mm -hmm. But um, if I can brag about our ministry, um, we have so many young people that are being trained up in the knowledge of scriptures that I believe that's going to be incredibly important in the furtherance of the Messianic movement and also in um, Jewish people coming to faith. But there's also an education that everyone should be in, involved in, and that's simply reading the Word, thinking about the Word, praying about the Word, and making that a daily part uh, of your life. Yeah. You know, I, I, I give the, the, the explanation or the illustration that, you know, if, if, you don't, um, if you don't eat for about 40 days, you become really, really hungry, and after that, you die. So mm. you need food. And the Scripture calls the Word of God our food. Mm -hmm. um, Moses says that the children of Israel were caused to hunger in the wilderness, so that they might know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so I'm afraid that people are not, that are not in the word daily are, are basically starving themselves, if you will. Yeah. Um, also, you know, I think you can last, I don't know, three or four days, maybe four days without water. Right. Well, the scripture is also described as rivers of, of water. If, if the believer is not in, in the Word daily, then, then they're starting to become dehydrated spiritually, uh, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And finally, you know, you need air to breathe. You can only last about two minutes without that, or you asphyxiate yourself. Well, the air of the Word of God is the Ruach HaKodesh, the, the Holy Spirit uh, that breathes understanding and discernment uh, into our lives. And so, the word is our bread, the word is our water, and the word is the very air we breathe. And that kind of education, every believer uh, should be involved in. Dennis, why is the messianic message important for this time? Well, um, do I have half an hour to answer? <laughs> I think, and again, I don't want to approach this from a Jewish versus Gentile viewpoint. I want to approach it from the viewpoint of where we are in society and history today. If people don't understand the roles, and I say that specifically plural, the roles of Messiah, first, to come as a sacrificial sin offering, second, to come as the King and Lord and Savior and ruler of the world, then their life has no foundation. They don't know where they've come from, and they don't know where we're heading. Uh, to understand the roles of Messiah, uh, it gives us an understanding of where this country is going. It gives us an understanding of the scriptures that say things are going to get worse and worse and worse before his return. Mm -hmm. And certainly they're getting worse and worse and worse. The scripture says that before Messiah's return, the birth pangs will get closer. Boy, they're getting closer today. And I think there's an urgency when we understand the messianic understanding of scripture, there's an urgency to share the life that we've been given with others who are basically walking dead. That is fantastic. Thank you so much, Dennis, for joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We, we really enjoyed hearing from you and we hope to have you back real soon. 
Thank you so much. And um, I pray for you as you continue these podcasts that they might have an influence and a furtherance of the kingdom of God. God bless you. Dennis made a great point. Education is an important way the church can play a part in the Messianic movement. At Chosen People Ministries, part of our mission is to help believers engage with Jewish people. So in 2007, we started a seminary program in Brooklyn. The Charles L. Feinberg Center for Messianic Jewish Studies offers an accredited Master of Divinity degree with an emphasis in Messianic Jewish Studies. This program is designed to train those with a calling to Jewish ministry as Messianic congregational leaders, outreach workers, or teachers. This dynamic program is a joint venture between Talbot School of Theology at Biola University and Chosen People Ministries. We ask some of our students to talk about their experience with this program. First, we have Michael. Michael, please tell us why would you want to study the Bible in a Messianic Jewish program? Mamma mia! I'm not Italian, but I can't help but think that if I really loved Italian food, that I would love to, and why wouldn't I love to, study uh, cooking with an Italian chef and possibly even go to Italy and study the history and the culture and... How do I make the best pasta? How do I make the best sauce? What ingredients uh, go best with it and what techniques? And I think very similarly with Christianity where uh, I love God, I love Jesus, I love the Bible. And so as a mainstream Gentile evangelical Christian, I also think, well, why, if the opportunity is present for me, why wouldn't I want to study the Bible from a Jewish perspective and with Jewish people, and especially Jewish people who believe in Jesus and recognize who Jesus is? Yeah, I have loved it, and I am glad to be studying Messianic Jewish studies full-time for Masters of Divinity at a seminary. Michael, thank you for that wonderful word picture. You spoke right to my heart with the Italian food example. <laughs> now we turn to Linnea. Linnea, wh what is it like being a Messianic Jewish Studies student? And what is some of the exciting stuff you learned? Being a Messianic Jewish Studies student is currently helping me develop a platform and a voice that highlights God's love for Israel and the Jewish people, especially around believers who want to know more about the scriptures in this way. I would say one of the coolest things I'm learning while being a student in New York is really how relatable and enjoyable the Jewish community is. I'm loving the opportunity to build relationships and get to know different Jewish communities in deeper ways and actually engage in meaningful conversations about God and faith. A few of the classes I've taken like Jewish history, rabbinic theology, and rabbinic literature have allowed me to get to know the Jewish people better on paper and that gives me the momentum and the confidence to bring it into actual conversation. I believe as believers, many of us lean on false narratives about the Jewish people, and that hinders our calling to be 
a blessing to them. But really, we have every reason to include and love them. And I believe that God is showing me ways and giving me the heart um, to turn this into a reality. Thank you so much, Linnea. That was beautifully stated. Now, we have Austin, who recently graduated from the Feinberg Center. Austin, what was the highlight of your time at Feinberg? A highlight of my studies is from a class I took called the Theology of the Siddur. And in this class, we took the Jewish prayer book and we dove into Jewish culture to truly understand what it meant to lay our hearts out in prayer before the Lord. In the class, we were assigned an exercise to put together a certain amount of prayers and blessings based off the structure in the Jewish prayer book for the people around us, our circumstances in life, and what the Lord has blessed us with up until that point. This exercise not only gave me an incredible sense of gratitude to the Lord, but it also humbled me when I realized that all the Lord is seeking is our heart, and the blessings in our lives are just a product of the Lord's love for all of us. Next up is Essie. Another graduate. Essie, what are you most thankful for when you think back to your time at Feinberg? I really got a fuller view of how Jewish the entire Bible is. And alongside of that, I was able to understand so much more of the Jewish narrative of what the Jewish people have gone through from start to finish. I will never fully understand, but um, through the classes at the Feinberg Center, I really grew in my knowledge um, from a biblical standpoint, from a human standpoint, and of course, on top of that, it only helps your compassion to grow a little bit more. Finally, we have Juan. Juan, what is the benefit of having a Messianic Jewish education? One of the greatest benefits of a Messianic education is that you get this combination, this marriage of two worldviews. You get not only the traditional Christian theological teachings, but also you get the Jewish perspective, which uh, in this program includes not only the ancient uh, Jewish origins of the Christian faith, but also some of the post-biblical rabbinic teachings as well. Just one really neat thing has been also seeing how much more we have in common than what we than our differences. Specifically, I'm thinking when comparing traditional Christian teachings and even the teachings of the sages and the rabbis that we find in rabbinic texts like the Talmud and the Mishnah. So being able to find that common ground, seeing that we have more in common than we have different, and using that uh, to, to find that common ground and, and build relationships and build bridges between the two communities. So whether you are Jewish, Gentile, old, young, male, female, Baptist, or Presbyterian, there is a place and a need for you in the Messianic community, especially as we come closer and closer to the Messianic age and the Messiah's return. If you would like to visit a Messianic congregation, just visit chosenpeople.com to find a congregation near you. You can learn more about our Messianic Jewish Studies program at feinbergcenter.com. Most importantly, pray for God to show you how you can build bridges of reconciliation because all of us, Jew and Gentile, are one in Messiah. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Our Hope. We've come to the end of our second season. 
So we will be taking two weeks off and returning on September 7th. Thank you for your support and listening so far. And if you would like to help keep this podcast going, please visit chosenpeople.com slash donate and give today. And don't forget to follow us on social media for updates on our upcoming episodes. Just search Chosen People Ministries on your favorite social platform. Today's episode was made possible thanks to Dr. Mitch Glazer, Nicole Vaca, Grace Sui, Elisabetta Karp, Kyron Bautista, Dennis Karp, and students from the Feinberg Center for Messianic Jewish Studies. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Our Hope. If you like our show and want to know more, check out ourhopepodcast.com or chosenpeople.com. See you next time.